All right, going to your favorite devotional book of the Bible, Leviticus. It's exciting, bodily discharges. We get to get into that tonight. I know that's probably your first place to go to when you are having a difficult moment in life. Um, so um, yeah, familiar stuff for you, I'm sure. Uh, but that is not, that, yeah, I'm not joking actually. That is what we're talking about. That's gonna be part of it. Um, but of course, as we go through the Old Testament, especially chapters like this, um, we're reminded of that verse in Colossians that says that these things were shadows of things to come, but Christ, that he is the substance. So while we'll look at these in part enough to understand the movements and what was going on in the tabernacle and among the nation and to put it in its historical context, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those practical applications because um, they really don't have a lot of significance to us under the new covenant. Uh, but the fulfillment of them is where the money's at. It's, and that's where we're going to spend our time. So we're going to pick up in chapter 12 and we begin with purification after childbirth. So let's read these. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days as in the day of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, so longer. As in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification for 66 days. So that's a longer period of time as well. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then she, he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female." And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. Okay. Raises a lot, some questions. Um, and I just want to kind of quickly move through this. Uh, but what I want to say off the the top, and this is the way my mind works when I come to passages that I think have a difficult element in them, and I encourage you to do this. And sometimes it's just, it's like, I don't fully understand everything and the whys of what's going on here. So rather than maybe beginning with what this passage does mean, let's begin with what the passage doesn't mean. What the passage doesn't mean and what it's not saying is that she has sinned. There's no sin here. Actually, this is a fulfillment of one of the first commandments that was given in scripture, and that was to multiply and fill the earth. 
Children are a heritage from the Lord. Um, they're a blessing. So we're not dealing with sin here. And, and although we may, in our ear, um, you know, remove from this for thousands of years, we may hear some of these words and we think, oh, sin and problem and separation from God. No, that's not what the issue is here. It is a ceremonial uncleanness and um, it is very much tied to the blood and the blood was something, the life was in the blood. And so whenever there was a flow of blood, wherever there was any kind of discharge um, that could be considered, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm tempted to use the word, um, uh, you know, like unhygienic. I, I, I want to be, the Bible doesn't use that word. It uses, uh, you know, uncleanness. So wherever that is, you see that there were things that needed to, uh, the worshiper needed to go through another, another, so they might come before the Lord and not be kept away. So the Lord is building this into it. So for ceremonial uncleanness, not for some kind of moral failure. So that I think is really important. One possible reason why the Lord required the cleansing may be to communicate that man's condition was desperate even in birth. I think that's a very interesting idea. I, I, I won't put this down as a biblical certainty, but I think it's, it's worthy of a good debate over a cup of coffee. And then walk out and say, hmm, okay. Let me read you a quote um, from Gregory Lent. He says, the clean and the unclean food, which we talked about last week, is a reminder of holiness versus sin in everyday choices. But the cleansing needed after childbirth illustrates that sin is more than choices and behavior. It is a condition all are in from birth. So I think linking this idea that man is in a place separated from God, even at birth, is an important one for us to talk about. I'll leave the discussion of the age accountability for another time. I don't want to go down too many rabbit trails here. So let me just stick to this trail here. So while we don't know the exact reason that's stated for certainty, I think this is a worthy idea. And if it's not what the Lord intended here, the principle that man is in a lost state, all men are in a lost state, is a very well-testified truth throughout Scripture. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So zeroing in on the word all, everybody is in a condition where they are separated from the Lord. Psalm 51.5, David, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. It's not that she was in a, an adulterous relationship. It's just that's the, it's speaking to the condition of man. Or quite significantly, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. So the condition of mankind is lost and separated from God, which is very different than a humanistic thought that said man is good and um, is not in need of, you know, any help or rescuing. And yet we cry out for help and rescuing every single day of our life. Look at the world around us. Look at the state that they are in. Now, they, they're, they're happily saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> 
You know, are, are you one of those people that when you get hurt, you're like, I'm okay? Or are you one of those people when you get hurt, you're like, please help? How many of you are please help kind of people? Okay, not many of us. How many of you are like, I'm okay? Yeah, okay. There's a moment when I was uh, playing, uh, uh, you know, Little League, and I was playing catcher that night, and a foul ball was hit up, and, um, and you know, we were teenagers, so there's a little more power than T-ball, you know? And so I threw the mask off, and I ran to try and, and get to the ball, but I couldn't get to the ball in time, and there was a ton of backspin on it. The ball hit the ground, and immediately just popped me right in the mouth. Um, I turned around, <laughs> put the mask on, and, um, because I don't want help. And, um, and so... Um, the, the ump said, are you okay? I said, yep, I'm fine. Lifted up the mask and spit out a bunch of blood. And I, I stayed in there the whole thing and didn't say anything. I went back to the dugout, took off the mask, and my lip was as big as a human lip could be. I don't want help. You know, I don't want help. I'm fine. And, and the, the world is like that. It's like you're lost and you've got a fat lip and the Lord wants to put some ice. I'm fine. I don't need any help. I've got my condition is great. No, it's not. Your condition is not great. You can keep telling yourself that. But when you honestly look in the mirror of God's word, you're going to see that, you know, I don't know. You've got orangutan lips or something. I don't know. So you just this is a condition of man is that you and me and this world is lost. And so maybe that is what is going on. Um, now, the harder question is, okay, I got that one. Why 40 days for sons and 80 days for daughters? I don't know. I don't know. I think we'll have to ask the Lord that one. Um, but what doesn't it mean? It is not saying that God thinks that men are inherently better than women and more holy than women, uh, or men, whichever way. There's an equality that is spoken of um, throughout Scripture that man and woman needs the Lord just as much as the opposite gender. So listen, this is not what's being said. So I, I guess we're going to have to wait and find out why that is. So how do you handle things that look like this and yet you really don't have a solid answer for them? And I, you know, I can hear the critics seizing upon this and saying, see, you know, Judeo uh, uh, or Christianity is uh, chauvinistic and it, it, it demeans women. Okay, that is not what you find in Scripture. Actually, what you find through Scripture is all through Scripture, the Lord is giving uh, women their proper place in cultures where men were domineering them and overshadowing them. And um, I think one of the most telling examples of this in Scripture is who was the first one to see the risen Lord? It was Mary. Now, we sit here today, you know, and think, well, okay, what does that prove? It proves a lot. Because in Jesus' day, not because the Lord thought it was a good idea, but because of the way man was and did demean women, um, it 
A woman's testimony didn't mean anything. A woman could give a testimony in a way. So if you were with your friends and you're like, like you, you told them the account, like, no, we don't believe you, that, that thing, that story, that account. We don't believe you. We don't believe you. Were you there? No, I wasn't there. Well, how do you know? Well, my, my wife told me, oh, laughter would break out. Your wife, your daughter told you, your mom, your aunt, your, you know, that neighbor who's a woman. That doesn't mean anything to us. That's nothing. You can't take the testimony of a woman and try to establish some kind of truth. That was a world that Jesus was living in. And sovereign God chose to reveal one of the most debated truths of Christianity on which everything of Christianity hangs, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and he put it first in the hands of a woman. Evidently, he thinks her opinion matters a whole lot and was not afraid to trust her with the most important. Read the story again and see how the disciples respond to her and you might get a little insight. But this is the Lord. This is our Lord. So I don't fully understand it. I just know that it's, it's not the accusation that's brought up. In verse 8, we read that, you know, if you were poor, you could bring, you know, um, some turtle doves and stuff. Well, this is what Mary and Joseph did when they came to the temple. It, it spoke to their financial status and that they were not people of means. So chapter 12, um, uh, you know. Even in childbirth, there had to be a, a, a ceremony there at the temple, an offering at the temple, um, that there might be a re-entry in. Into chapter 13, we come and we begin a discussion that's going to actually go on for two chapters um, about leprosy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's in here. First one is a whole lot about identifying. Chapter 13 is all about identifying leprosy. And then chapter 14 is going to um, talk about, you know, what do you do if actually that leprosy gets cleansed? So chapter 13, discovering leprosy. Chapter 14, the cleansing of the leper. All right, so here, well, and, and it's a long chapter, as you can see. So I'm, I'm not going to read the entire chapter on, on this. Um, not that I don't think it's worthy, but just we're going to do, take this in summary form. And so we'll read a couple of verses to begin with uh, to get a flavor of it. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. The priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper, 
than the skin, and his hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore for seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if indeed the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if indeed the sore has faded, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only a scab, and he shall wash wash his clothes and be clean. What's that? Take a bath, do your laundry. That's, that's, that's what you got to do in that situation. So you get a, you get a kind of a sense for what, um, of how this chapter will go. So if somebody was suspected of having some kind of skin ailment, they had to go before the priest for examination. Uh, the quarantine that was imposed for the person in question, it was so there wouldn't be a spread of deadly diseases. That was the reason. That was the heart behind this, was to protect the community. So the question that is often brought up when we begin to talk about this chapter and, and the, the leprosy, as it's translated, is this a reference to Hansen's leprosy, which we think of when we, we heard that term, or is this more related just to a wide range of skin diseases. And most would agree that this is a reference to skin diseases. So one um, word study book that I use often in the, uh, for the Old Testament uh, defines and speaks of this chapter and this word for leprous that you see in leprosy as, and I'll just quote to you, it says, Disease, diseases with eruptions affecting the skin are sometimes mild, sometimes as in smallpox, scarlet fever, etc. but both dangerous and highly contagious. The only effective control in antiquity would have been isolation. Only the Hebrew laws has this very valuable provision. So, it could be a range of different types of sicknesses that could spread through and could actually become quite detrimental to a community. So the Lord put this in there that they might be protected. We read this, we're like, oh my goodness, you're trying to read this at you know, 10 o'clock at night and it's like, whew, your eyes are going shut. But if you're a brand new nation and all of these people are coming together, millions of people, what kindness to know how to stay healthy. Here's some public health information from the Lord to these people. So in verse two, it talks about a scab. We read that. Um, in verses 18 and 19, it talks about if there's a boil on the skin. In verse 24, it talks about if, the, if there's a burn that happens, it would become a bright spot, whether white or reddish in color, what should you do? If there's a sore on your head or on your beard. Um, and then it even in verse 47, it speaks about what to do in, the, uh, you know, in examining the garments. And so 14 day separation, um, with a meeting on the seventh day was, was a prescription to try and figure out what was going on. But leprosy in, the, in its worst form, in the form we think of it often, um, where that person would be separated from their family and not able to be around them. And, you know, it was a devastating disease that in that day there was no, no healing for. So when we talk about this leprosy, um, there is some information for us that I think becomes a picture of what the Lord has done. And so um, let's talk about leprosy 
in scripture as a type of sin. And so I'm going to have a handful of points here that I think are, is, it creates an interesting picture. In verse 3, we read that if the leprosy was deeper than the skin, then it needs to be paid attention to. So leprosy, leprosy was not simply a surface blemish. It was a disease that went deep. If we take this and we begin to think about leprosy as a type of sin, then isn't that the case? Sin is not just a skin deep issue. It is something that goes deep. As we talked about, it goes to the very core of, of a person's condition before God. It goes to their heart. And so man's heart, as seen by God, is where the problem exists, is that their, their heart is far from them. The lips can, can actually look okay, and you know they can be speaking words of worship. He says, but your heart is far from me. And so mankind has this condition that goes much deeper than just the presenting problem. There is a separation from God. In verse 7, it goes on in chapter 13 of Leviticus to talk about if it spreads. Wasn't that what sin does? Isn't sin, again, another metaphor used for it is leaven? It leavens the whole lump. It putrefies. It brings corruption to the whole thing. And, and so sin does not obey our ideas of boundaries. Have you noticed that? We can draw these nice, neat boundaries and say sin is only going to go this far. But you know, when you begin to tamper with sin, it doesn't obey that. And it begins to go deeper than, and broader than maybe the parameters you drew up in your mind when you compromised and said, I'm going to allow this little bit of sin in my life into the family, into the house. And now it begins to, it begins to go deep. It begins to spread. And it becomes a problem. In James chapter 1, it tells us that sin starts with a thought, but it ends with what? death. And so we must walk in, in a healthy fear of the impact of sin. I don't think we got to run around like scared, you know, uh, people that sin's going to jump on us and it's going to destroy us. But when we begin to make conscious decisions that I'm going to allow this thing in my life that 10 years ago, I would have never allowed in my life. And I would have called somebody out that is a believer if they were like, but now it's okay. You need to understand that your prescribed boundaries are not going to hold sin in. That's not the way sin works. Sin works to the end to bring destruction. Um, in verses 44 and 46, so let's, let's read that a little bit there. Uh, chapter 13 of Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 44. says, um, Comes to the conclusion, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leopard on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall uncover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days that he has his sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. He shall dwell, what? Alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What are we reading about here? The person who had a disease that could be spread had to be removed from the company uh, so it wouldn't go any further. They would have to announce their uncleanness. So what did leprosy do? It separates people from 
the community, from their family. And isn't that exactly what sin does? You can see why sin is a type, excuse me, leprosy is a type of sin. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So this is what sin does. Why do I have to be worried about sin? Because it separates you from your maker and you are cut off from him. Let's read down into verse 52 of Leviticus 13. He shall therefore burn the garment in which is the plague, whether uh, warp or wolf, in wool or in linen, or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. What is all sin destined to be judged in? Fire. The, the, the one who leads people astray, um, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire one day. Those who do not come to Jesus Christ, their high priest, and get the pronouncement, you are clean, will forever live in the lake of fire. So again, this, this imagery becomes quite powerful when you begin to think one, but one point after another. I, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, leprosy was considered, you know, in, in that Hansen form, was considered incurable back then. And um, so when you got it, no, nobody could do anything. There's nothing that could be done for sin outside of Jesus, outside of the Lord doing it. Now, there are some people that um, we can read of in Scripture. Miriam got leprosy, right? And she was healed. Naaman, he had leprosy. He was healed. But there really is not any other references that, I, that came to my mind as I thought about this in the Old Testament. But as you move into the New Testament, still considered incurable, there's one who excelled at healing leprosy, and his name is Jesus. He can heal and touch that which is incurable. There's no hope for mankind to deal with their sin and be acceptable into the presence of God and remove that separation except for the one who has separated you brings you back. And that is what Jesus did. He is able to touch that sin problem. He touched the lepers and he healed them. But he touches the sin problem and he brings us back. He makes us whole. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. We studied this not so long ago. I just, I think this, I love this account. I love this account and how it unfolds. It's on the screen, but I think you should turn there so you know where it is. Luke 17, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. What do you think maybe they were calling out? Unclean. They're separated. They could be together but they couldn't be with their family. They couldn't be a part of the community. They're standing afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Oh, man, I mean, it's just, can you just hear the pain of these men? 
the desperation for these men. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Leviticus chapter 13, 14, right? Go show yourself to the priests. So it was, and, and if you're an underliner, underline this, as they went, they were cleansed. What do you think that little journey, I don't know how far they walked, but what do you think that journey must have been like as sensation began to come back to their extremities and to their fingers and the skin and the blotches and these sores began to go? I, as I read this, it doesn't seem like it was an instantaneous, it all happened at once. It's like as they're walking, they're like, you know what? I can feel my fingers again. And looking at their fingers and, and as they walk, they're being cleansed as they are walking in obedience to go show themselves to the priest. Actually, I think it's just a fantastic way in which the Lord chose to heal them. Can you imagine the joy you know what, me too. I, you, just, you can just imagine them, you know, saying, I have no more scars. I have no more wounds. I'm whole. Verse 15, and one of them, there's 10, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. I find that an interesting little note. Nine are going and one comes back to give thanks. But I don't think the Samaritan would have been welcomed at the temple. I don't think he would have been welcomed. I mean, these are enemies. It's, he wouldn't have been welcomed. So he gets the healing and he can't go to the priest's. So he comes back to another priest, Jesus, who is able to observe. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But why? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So again, he's out, out on the outside. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So I want us, and we did, we remember tonight that all of us were these unclean lepers that are separated from God, but Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, he has, he has cleansed you. He has forgiven your sins. You see, Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we ask him to cleanse us and forgives us, forgive us as a high priest, he does that, and he forgives you of your leprous sin. He forgives you of that which separates you, that which would bring you to death, would, would, would be your destiny for all of eternity in the lake of fire. And he says, you're healed. You're clean. And we need to make certain that we are coming back to Jesus over and over and over again and saying, Jesus, thank you for making me clean I, I hope that it was tonight. I imagine it was tonight. I'm going to assume that it was tonight that you said, Jesus, thank you for making me clean as we went to the table of the Lord. But this needs to be a continual praise and offering coming from our mouth to the Lord. 
Remember to be thankful to the Lord. It's, a, it's wonderful to be familiar with the truth of justification and atonement and that he has wiped all of our sins away, but don't let that diminish your gratitude just because you're familiar with it. Stir it up. Be thankful for what Jesus did. Into Leviticus chapter 14, we come into some verses that speak about the cleansing of the leper. In verse 3, it says, And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take him who is to be cleansed two uh, clean birds and cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed. And so he goes through this, this offering that they are to make, the sacrifices to be made um, for them. But, but notice that he's to go where? The priest shall go where? Out of the camp. Because where the leper is, he's outside of the community. And so the priest would go out. And, and again, we read this in scripture. I'm going to give it to you here in just a moment. But Jesus went outside of the camp. When Jesus hung on the cross, he went outside. Hebrews 13, verses 10 through 13 says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and burned, where? Outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Golgotha, and historians debate where it was, but the writer's telling us Golgotha, where Jesus died on the cross, was outside the gate of Jerusalem. Look at the details that Jesus is fulfilling Therefore, verse 13, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. And you know all about the background of Hebrews. They were thinking, oh man, I don't know if I can follow this Jesus. Nobody likes Jesus. He goes, he went outside of the camp for you. You can go outside of the camp with him. But um, the, this, this cleansing that's taking place. In, in verse 9, um, it says, but on the seventh day he shall uh, shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows and his hair shall, um, he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. Again, it, this is shadows. The substance is Christ. So we are, as those who have been cleansed, how does this apply to us? And I don't think these are stretches. I'm not spiritual. You may feel like I'm spiritual. I feel like it's just like right there on the surface. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting. At the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him. And so, you know, and, and then it goes on to talk about, I didn't include these verses, but it goes on to talk about, you know, we put on, you know, righteousness. We walk in, in, in righteous, you know, uh, conduct and we throw off the old garb. And so, you I mean, we throw off the old sinful ways and we put on the new way of living and following the Lord, just like the leper did. And so, isn't it tragic that we can sometimes begin to whine about putting on the new clothes. 
Do you think any leper ever once said, can, can I just keep that shirt? I mean, I've worn it for the last five years. I, I, can I keep the shirt? No, they would have never said that. They get a bath, they get clean, they get, they're, they're just new clothes. They would have been thrilled to put on new clothes that they totally removed from the leprosy. And yet, sometimes we see people struggling. I don't know if I really want to give up all that stuff. I mean, you got a stinky, smelly shirt that you want to keep wearing around. We're clean. Take a bath. Put on the new clothes. Enjoy what the Lord has given to you. In verses 14 through 20, we read... Um, about blood and oil that's going to be a part of this ceremony. Blood on the ear, on the thumb, and on the toe. And kind of the idea is like from head to toe, you're clean. You know, it's, it's kind of a pretty picture here of that redemption. In verse 17, oil is placed um, where the blood was on the ear, thumb, and toe. And so this is this picture of this ceremony. How wonderful this would have been. Um, to have gone through and being brought back into the family. And then in verses 33 through 53, I'll leave that for yourself. It pertains to um, looking at homes that maybe were carrying plague and how they were supposed to deal with them. But the Lord wanted to protect the community. In chapter 15, and we're going to move really quick through this, here are some other conditions that would make a person unclean. Um, and it's divided in verses 1 through 18 about bodily discharges that a man would have and um, would make him unclean. In verses 19 through 33, it deals with the one for the women. Um, in verses 1 through 15, um, it deals with unnatural discharges, um, maybe like venereal disease type of things, and what needed to be done. And then there was a natural um, uh, means by which somebody could become um, unclean. Um, and the bath that they would need to take, the ceremonial cleansing. And for women, verses 19 through 24, natural discharges, um, 25 through 33, um, um, you know, uh, actually got it backwards, uh, unnatural discharges in 25 through 33, um, natural. So, you know, again, th these are a way for the people to remain clean, not spread disease, not be sick. Understand that you've got to be whole and be in before, when you come to the Lord. And so this is a lot of the same theme that's going on. We're going to close, though, in this last chapter, chapter 16, um, which is all about the Day of Atonement. It's one of the most significant days in the calendar of Israel. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come just at any time into the holy place. So did they kind of like, you know, decide, hey, we're going to go in the holy place. Inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So it seems like there's a connection, right, with these guys dying, the profane fire. And so in verse 3, he begins to give that instruction of how they were to come. They were only allowed to come, only the high priest, and he was only allowed to come once a year 
on this day, the day of atonement. And if you decide to come another day, you're going to die. You, you don't get just to do it your way. But why? Because it's the way I've laid it down. And so the Lord has given these specific instructions that um, the way in which it should be done. So there was only one person and then only could happen once a year on that specified day. And as they came, they were coming uh, on the Day of Atonement to make an offering for the tabernacle that was polluted by the worshipers that would have come in through the course of the year. It was an offering that would also, number two, be made for the priest. And there was also an offering that would be made for the sins of the nation. This is the offerings that would be made. So this was the Good Friday of the Old Testament. They wouldn't have called it that. They wouldn't have seen it as that. But we know that's exactly what it was. It was all looking forward to the once and for all offering that Christ would make to remove guilt. It was the new beginning. This was like a new spiritual beginning and the calendar it's all been, you know, the nation is clean. The priest is clean. The tabernacle is clean. It's, it's brand new. It's a new beginning. And it's looking forward to what the Lord would bring. In Hebrews, again, chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. So I had made a comment um, when we started this past, or going through um, Hebrews and Leviticus at the same time that these things just intersect. They go together. And so let's read this. In chapter 7, verse 23, we read, Also there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Here it is, verse 27. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So while the high priest on the day of atonement would have had to make offerings, our high priest had to make no offering for himself. He only made offerings for us. And this is a powerful point, I am sure, for those Jews that were measuring and contemplating. So on the Day of Atonement, they'd have different sacrifices that would be offered up. But look at verse 5, um, there in chapter 16. And it says, And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall, verse 6, offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a, uh, a sin offering. It would be put to death. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it 
and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. So now he's going behind the veil. He's going to where the Ark of the Covenant is, and he's going in there. He's going to bring this censer in. He puts the, uh, the, the, the censer had the coals. He puts the incense in, and it just fills this room with, with smoke. And the idea is it's going to be clouded. He's not going to be able to observe and see. Um, so it's just speaking of the, the, you know, the, the separation um, even still, um, even though he goes back on this day between him and the Lord. Verse 13, he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. So come in with the censer this way, Nadab and Abihu seems like they came in, offered profane fire, wandered into the holy place, and you know what they did is they messed up the typology of the Lord, and that you can just come any way, and that it's like, look, at, we'll just go in here. No, one man, one man can be the mediator for the nation, just as in the fuller sense, there's only one man that is a mediator for our sins. And so you have this scene going on, the mercy seat, that is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Underneath the lid is the law which they were breaking, and that is where the blood would be sprinkled. So the, you have this lid that covers the law, which is being atoned for, what they broke. And then blood would be placed on that mercy seat. And we've taken the time when we were in um, Exodus that the word for mercy seat, um, when you take it through the Greek language of the Septuagint and, and then into the New Testament, it's the word propitiation. So Jesus is that mercy seat. He is that covering for us where the blood is shed, but it's his blood and he's a priest. It all gets, it all gets, it all comes back to Jesus the sacrifice, the priest, his blood, the mercy seat. It's, it's beautiful how it is. It is all fulfilled in him. Um, so the goats that we read about, they were taken from the congregation, one for sin and one is a scapegoat. One bore the guilt, the other one got to go free. So again, got a picture here, don't we? Who was the one that was made guilty for you? It was Jesus and who do you think the scapegoat is that gets to go out free? It's you and it's me that are liberated and able to go. Um, so fun to read this and to see how it all comes back together. Verse 15, um, about the goats, it says, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, uh, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So you just, you can see all these offerings that are, that are being offered up. Um, and as you read, um, 
keep on going through the rest of this, you'll read more about the scapegoat. One was released to go out in the wilderness. And um, the idea is that they would, um, the tradition is that they would go and there would be somebody standing up there on the Mount of Olives as they released this goat into the wilderness and they would wait until the goat went out of sight and they would motion back to the temple and say, can't see it anymore. Reminded of Psalm 103, verse 12, and we'll end right here. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we are clean. I said, as we shared in communion, that the enemy loves to bring condemnation. He loves to make us feel as if our sin is unique and special. And while God may be willing to forgive everybody else, and everybody else is covered under the blood of the lamb, not me. My sin is way different than everybody else's. And your sin is not different than everybody else's. My sin is not, it's, it's there. Again, I'm not going light on sin. If you are living in sin, you need to repent. And I pray that the heavy hand of the Lord will be upon you and bring you to that place of brokenness. But if you have been broken and you've called out to the Lord for forgiveness, then understand that you're free. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Walk in the freedom. Because if you don't walk in the freedom and you're not that leper coming back and just with a loud voice saying, I'm clean, you know what's going to happen? The enemy is going to begin to work in your mind you're you're not clean you'll never be clean you're never going to get it right you you know if there was a lemon law for christians jesus would trade you in you know it's like he 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 said yes to you to begin with but he had no idea what he was getting oh i think he did he knew exactly what he was getting you've not surprised him one it doesn't mean he's not grieved by our sin but you've not surprised him I don't know if the Lord can forgive me. Well, okay, let's think about that a little bit. When did Jesus die on the cross? That was a while ago, wasn't it? And when he died on the cross, how many sins was he dying for? And how many of your sins were future when he died? He's not surprised. He's already hung on the cross for your sins. Oh, okay, then I can, then I guess that means I can go out and I can sin. You're not saved if that's your conclusion. You're not saved. If your conclusion is, well, if that's the case, then I can go live it up, then you are not saved and you need to call out to the Lord to be forgiven because nobody who understands the atoning work of Christ and that he was that goat, that lamb, that ram, that pigeon, that you know, turtle dove that was offered up for sin, my sin, and was put to death, nobody who understands that says, yeah, I want to go do more of that. We're, we are, that song we used to sing, you know, um, sweetly broken. You know, we get sweetly broken. Brokenness happens, but it's a sweet breaking before the presence of the Lord. And, and so you're clean. And as far as the east is from the west, so far is he removed. Uh, you, you, you know this, but aren't you glad you didn't say as far as the north is from the south? I could ask somebody right now and say, what is the distance? Some, somebody out there probably knows this. What is the distance from the North Pole to the South Pole? You can measure it. But if I was to say, measure the distance from the East Pole and the West Pole, you would say, there are no poles for East and West. 
So you can go east forever and you can go west forever. You can't go north forever, though. There's a, there's a point on the map where you would be heading south. And the Lord chose to say, as far as the east is from the west. It is good to be clean. Oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity. Don't let the enemy keep you in the mire and thinking that God doesn't want anything to do with you. Oh, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Strive in the power of the, of, of the spirit to live the most holy life you possibly can to honor and please Jesus. Be holy as he is holy. But condemnation, don't let it be there. Conviction, yeah. Conviction's good. And you want to know how you can tell the difference between the two? Condemnation is accusatory, it's name-calling, and it keeps you from wanting to come to the Lord. You're so filthy and disgusting. Don't, don't you dare come before the Lord. And it will pretend to be the voice of the Lord in your head. You know, the Lord wants to, he's disgusted with you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. He don't even, don't even pray. Don't even go to church. Don't even open your Bible. You need to get rid of your Bible. You shouldn't even call your Christian. You should delete all of your Christian friends because you are bad news for them. Condemnation. Conviction, you're sweetly broken. You're, you are broken over your sin. You may have your eyes full of tears, but you hear the voice of the Lord saying, Come to me. I want to cleanse you. So, write it down, memorize it. God does not call you names. He doesn't call you stupid, worthless, useless, mistake. He doesn't do that. He calls you his son and daughter. And when you come to him, as in the story of the prodigal son, he comes running to you. So don't let the enemy pull that one over. Don't allow Satan to demean the beautiful finished work of our high priest Jesus in atoning for our sins. God is not honored by you beating yourself up. God is honored when we are like that leper that comes back and says, I'm clean. And you can just imagine Jesus laughing. Yes, you are. Where's the other everybody else? You know, that is the heart of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that it's so clear in Scripture. You want us to be holy. You want us to come before you in a way that we're not defiled. Lord, there's ways that you wanted people to be clean that we don't even understand. It's clear you wanted us to be clean but it's also clear that you have made us clean and we thank you for it. Maybe you missed the opportunity earlier, but if you need to thank the Lord for being made clean, why don't you just quietly say, Lord, I'm that Samaritan. I'm that foreigner. I had nowhere I could go to be made clean and present myself, but to you, thank you for making me clean.